Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Bailey Merzik, also with the Department of Communication. Today, we're going to discuss a very important topic, recovery from substance use disorder. Now, before we get into that, be sure you go back and get caught up on all the important episodes of The Wrap you may have missed, including last week's show on the 988 Crisis Line. You can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. New shows debut weekly, can also be found on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel, and as part of the Headlines Week in Review. And with that, let's bring in Cody Babon, Darren Shutka, and Dr. Cameron Coleman. First, can the three of you explain your roles in the organization? Hi, I'm Cody. I am one of the therapists here in U of M's Addiction Treatment Services team. We are situated in the outpatient section of the Department of Psychiatry. Um, I facilitate a variety of different groups for adult patients and adolescent patients. Um, I provide individual therapy, and I also do assessments. And I'm Cameron Coleman. I'm a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry. I'm an addiction medicine specialist. So I work with Cody at our outpatient substance use clinic. I see patients and offer medication and non-medication forms of treatment for addiction. And I also spend some time working uh, on our inpatient hospital addiction consult service where I work with Darren. Thanks, Dr. Coleman. My name is Darren Shutka. I'm a social worker on the addiction consult team inside University of Michigan's hospital. Uh, most of my work is done direct care with the patients in, in their rooms, in their setting, doing uh, interviewing and really trying to meet them where they're at and figure out what help might look like for them. Awesome. Well, thank you to all three of you for being here. Now, Cameron, let's start with you. Can you talk a little bit about what drug or alcohol addiction is and what the signs and symptoms may be? Sure. Quick, great question. And this comes up a lot when we're talking with patients. So uh, addiction is kind of a complicated idea, but to boil it down, what I like to explain to patients is that addiction is a chronic relapsing disorder. And it starts when patients start to use a substance or engage in a behavior that can feel good or take away pain or take away anxiety. And because of that, they may start to crave it. But over time, they sort of lose control of their ability to regulate that behavior or regulate their consumption of that substance. And over time, their use of that substance or their engagement in that behavior continues despite negative consequences in their life. So at its core, addiction is the idea of continuing to use a substance despite the fact that it's causing harm in your life. Yeah, and I would like to just, to, you know, piggyback off that just a little bit. It, it can be hard to pick out the signs and symptoms because it's different for everybody. And early on, uh, a lot of people are going to, um, that are experiencing troubles in this area, it's going to be something that they're doing in their private uh, area. It's something that, that they're not sharing with a lot of people in many cases. And at first, a lot of the consequences from uh, the behavior hasn't shown up yet. Um, but that over the progression of the disease, uh, or disorder, um, it can it can show up in forms of all of a sudden you'll start to see like a loss of interest in activities that somebody used to engage in, hobbies. Um, maybe they're a little more isolated or having problems with fulfilling some of the roles in their life and, and they're just not showing up. So these would be the things you'd want to start to look for, but it's not always that easy. I think another common misconception that says a lot of people in society have is that oh, I don't have a substance use disorder because I'm not homeless. I'm not in and out of rehab. But like Darren said, it does look different for everyone. And as professionals, we classify it 
as a mild substance use disorder, a moderate substance use disorder, or a severe substance use disorder. So I think a lot of people who have mild and moderate can kind of think, oh, I don't actually have a problem. But like Darren said, it presents different for everyone. So it's just kind of taking a look at those different things of how is this showing up in my life? And I think another thing to ask yourself too, if you're questioning it is how much mental space is this taking up for me and how much of this substance is taking up a part of my life right now? Yeah, so talking about recovering from substance use disorder, um, recovery can look different for different people. As you said, the disorder can look different. So what are some things that people can do to help themselves enter and stay in recovery? I'll go ahead and start off here. So uh, some of the things are, are, are the traditional things you might think of. Uh, treatment does hold value. So there are different levels of treatment for people um, and different levels of care, as we'd say in the field, anywhere from like outpatient to intensive outpatient, which would be a little more structured uh, to inpatient treatment. But but that's not everybody's pathway. That's not how everybody gets there. Uh, but I want to I want to highlight that because that is still a great pathway for people to get involved and enter into recovery. Some of the other things people do is they they follow uh, multiple pathways um, and mutual aid groups. And there's many of them out there. And we could have a whole podcast on the different types some that people are familiar with would be your AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, or your NA, Narcotics Anonymous. But since the, the early inceptions of those, there's been many more. Some are based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Some are based on Buddhist practices, uh, Christian practices. There's really a, a whole variety of mutual aid groups. And then there's people outside of that who it's got a lot to do with routine and purpose and personal growth. And so um, I, I would say it's a, a broad category, and I probably haven't even touched most of them, and I'm sure our other guests have more to add. One thing that I like to emphasize with patients is, especially early in recovery, the priorities are often helping patients to gain some control back in their life. And as Darren highlighted, structure and routine can be really helpful tools to try to do that. So that may look like volunteering. That may look like starting new work uh, or um, uh, adding an additional part-time sort of work so that you're finding something to invest your time, your energy, uh, and your mind in. Um, in many cases, uh, patients with addiction have damaged relationships, either with significant others, with family members. And so part of being in early recovery often involves repairing some of those relationships. Um, and so those are some of the things that we work with uh, patients on when we're uh, in treatment. I would add in probably for entering and staying in recovery, having an open mind. I think um, substance use is very isolating and it wants you to stay by yourself and not talk to other people about it. So having an open mind when you and connecting with other people, so talking to professionals or talking to other people with lived experiences, I think is one of the most valuable things that people can do to enter and stay in recovery um, because it wants you to isolate and it wants you to keep their, your mind closed off and not listening to other people who might be able to help pull you out of that. So I'd like to talk about, you know, one form of treatment, which is medication. Is medication sort of considered a true form of recovery and being in recovery, or is it really just replacing one so-called drug for another? Great question. Let me chime in here with my two cents. So as we mentioned at the beginning, addiction is a chronic relapsing disorder. 
it's a chronic illness uh, in the same way that asthma, diabetes, or chronic illnesses. And for some forms of chemical addiction, uh, we have really effective medication treatments. So when we're talking about opioid addiction, tobacco addiction, alcohol addiction, there are medications that can be really helpful at addressing cravings and withdrawal symptoms. Some patients uh, are a little ashamed to take medications because they think, as you highlighted, that I'm just trading one thing for another. But what we talk about with our patients is uh, if you had diabetes and you needed insulin to control your blood sugar, that wouldn't be, uh, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. And when it comes to medication for addiction, really it's the same sort of principle. So just to give you a little bit of a sense of numbers and how effective these medications are, for patients who struggle with opioid addiction, maybe that's pain pills like oxycodone, morphine, Percocet, or maybe it's street opioids like heroin or fentanyl. What we know about the natural course of opioid addiction is without treatment, nine out of 10 patients are going to continue to use, return to use, relapse, whatever you want to call it. That's the nature of opioid addiction. Uh, we've seen that in study after study, and we feel pretty confident that the return to use rates are that high, nine out of 10. If you add state-of-the-art medication treatment, you can reduce those uh, rates of recurrence from 9 out of 10 down to 4 or 5 out of 10. So that's not a slam dunk or a magic bullet, but it's a dramatic reduction, and it can really increase the likelihood that a patient can achieve sustained sobriety. So that's the level of effectiveness that we talk about with some of these state-of-the-art medications. Um, and no, starting medication treatment for addiction is not just trading one substance uh, for another. I would also encourage people to look at medicine as a tool. Um, so, you know, if you're doing a home project, a hammer isn't going to fix all of your problems, just like a medicine isn't going to fix everything. It's because a lot of people, depending on what philosophy you take with treating addiction, substances are a symptom of something underneath. And it often takes a lot of deeper work accompanied with the medication. So I would look at it as like your recovery toolbox. It's something in your toolbox, but it's not just, it's a variety of different approaches all coming together that really work for people, I think. Yeah. And to build off what Cody's saying there, um, we have to keep in mind that there's a spectrum and everybody's at a different place on it. And that's with their mental health, with their physical health and with their substance use. And, and buying some time to allow people to develop coping skills is, is one area where medications can be effective, but it can also just strictly save life. Uh, here in the hospital, uh, there, are, there are medical conditions that are occurring with people where if one slip at this point, one slip uh, and they're fighting addiction, which we all know how strong it is, could cost them their life. It could cost them a surgery that will prolong their life. Um, it, it, it could be the end. And these medications allow them to step back from the craving and the, the the thought cycle that is just reoccurring in their head and and actually put some, uh, you know, put first things first, which is, uh, you know, I, I need to stay here. I need to get healthy. I need to receive antibiotics. I need to get this surgery. Um, I, I understand that I also might need to develop some extra coping skills in the future, but I just can't stop thinking about my next use. And these medications really helpful for that population, those people falling on the spectrum. And without them, we would lose a lot more life. 
That's such a great point because uh, the consequences of a relapse or a return to use event, especially in patients who are struggling with opioids, could be overdose death. Uh, we've all seen on the news the prevalence of fentanyl out in street opioids nowadays, and that's so potent, so toxic, that a one-time exposure to that could be deadly. And as Cody was saying, uh, medications can be one of many effective tools in a patient's toolbox, especially early in treatment, as Darren was alluding to, when patients are so overwhelmed with things like strong cravings and withdrawal symptoms. Several months down the road, years down the road, um, those sorts of cravings and withdrawal symptoms may be a lot less prominent. And so the role of medications in a patient's overall treatment plan may not be primary at that stage. Another important consideration is that while we've got good medications for some forms of addiction, as I mentioned, opioid, alcohol, tobacco, there are plenty other forms of chemical addiction where we don't have medications, and medication may not be an option. So when you think about cocaine addiction, methamphetamine addiction, marijuana or cannabis addiction, we don't have any FDA-approved therapies for that. Um, so medication um, may help with some symptoms and some forms of addiction, but it's not ever going to be a magic bullet uh, in the one single component of any patient's treatment plan. I'm also very happy you guys brought up that question because it's a loaded question and it's a tough one. And it's one that providers need to keep in mind when they're discussing these options with their patients or their clients, depending on the setting. Uh, what, whatever your beliefs are, the recovery community out there is separated on this issue. So when somebody is offered buprenorphine or suboxone and then they're offered AA, um, on, on, you know, as additional support for mutual aid, it would be beneficial to have a discussion about what they might face in that in that environment and the risks to and and how they might cope with that and um, whether that's something that is going to be a good pairing for that individual or maybe we should look at a different pathway like smart recovery, which is more cognitive behavioral therapy and focused on it just one behavior rather than abstinence in general. Um, it, it's it's something to keep in mind across the board. Yeah, so you mentioned different tools such as medications and um, things that fit for different people um, that can help for addiction. But what are some of the main things that you see um, your patients do to make their recovery successful? And maybe on the opposite end, what are some of the common things that can hinder somebody's recovery? So I, I could start off on this one. Uh, one of the main things that I see that's helpful for people is um, being willing to get get a little bit uncomfortable and start to um, reach out there and connect with people and be vulnerable, which is extremely hard for a lot of people. Those who tend to do well in recovery um, are, are starting to embrace doing things, uh, whether it be because they're tired of being tired or, um, you know, a moment of bravery, whatever the reason is, they're starting to step outside their comfort zone and they're starting to get connected to something, whether that be relationships or purpose or something of that nature. The people that I see struggle and, um, you know, everybody's experience is different. It tends to be the one who's like, yeah, I want this, but I only want it this way. I don't do good in groups. I don't do good talking, um, going to mutual aid groups. I don't want to hear this or that the, the addiction starts to 
develop all these fears and anxiety and evidence with thought and emotion that back them up and it becomes this huge hurdle and people end up staying isolated where they want to stop using the substance but they're not really willing to change any of the behaviors that are tough another thing that i talk a lot about with patients is uh are you taking care of yourself as a whole person so addiction really lies at the intersection between physical health and mental health so we say let's talk about your physical health do you have chronic conditions that you've been neglecting is your blood pressure out of control is your blood sugar out of control do you have any uh health consequences related to your substance use do you have chronic infections like hepatitis c if so let's get that taken care of and treated do you have any alcohol-associated liver uh, disease, for instance? If so, let's address that. And then on the flip side, do you have any co-occurring mental conditions that you've been neglecting or that were never diagnosed or that you've never had treatment for? Do you have a co-occurring significant depression? Do you have significant anxiety? Uh, do you have sleep disorders? And have you found yourself using substances just because you've been unable to sleep for a long time? If so, let's take care of all of those things. Let's address the co-occurring conditions. Let's talk about your nutrition. Make, care, make sure you're taking care of yourself, eating properly, exercising. Let's optimize your sleep. Because when patients are really able to invest in their overall health, then that can really complement uh, their sobriety and they can get some wind at their sails. I think people who tend to be successful also learn a lot about the stages of recovery. I think in the early stages, it's really focused on avoiding things that make you more vulnerable to relapse. But like I mentioned earlier, I think at some point in those later stages of recovery, we have to address those underlying things that are inside of you that contributed to your substance use. So I think as a therapist, that's where I see people start to kind of lose that willingness because it's really hard. And it's like Darren mentioned, the uncomfortable piece, it's really uncomfortable to work on those things. It feels terrible for a lot of people. So then your body's like, oh, let's just go back to this because I can numb these feelings out again. So having and having that connection and support around you while navigating those really challenging things because if this was easy i think everybody would do it nobody wants to struggle and suffer from substance use um it's just a really challenging thing but connecting with other people and doing those things i think can really help you be successful yeah and just just for one last piece on there that goes with all of that time is important and time can be the enemy when you're in early uh, recovery and you're trying to get out of addiction. So the more you can fill your time and uh, stay in a routine, the more success you'll probably have early on. So I think one of the most challenging parts with substance use disorder is that it affects not only the person going through it, but the family and friends around them. Can you talk a little bit about what people around the patient can do to sort of help them if they're maybe in active stages of addiction or going through recovery? I think one, so I run a parent support group for parents with adolescents who are starting to struggle with substance use. And I think one of the most important things, especially as a parent, because it's obviously terrifying to see your child or your loved one going through this, um, is taking care. This is probably not the answer that most people like to hear because they want to know how to fix the person. I think the first thing you can do is learn that you're probably not going to be to do that the only thing that you can do is control yourself in the situation and manage your own health and emotions related to this because that's all you can contribute to the situation is taking care of yourself and being there for the person and just providing them with that love and support as they go through this themselves 
And yeah, Cody, that's exactly where I was going to go with it. So there are groups out there that can help families as well. So you have Al-Anon meetings that as a as somebody who works in the field, it's always great to uh, make family members aware of those. That's a place where they can go. It's very similar to uh, the AA structure, um, but it's for the, it's for the family member and it, and it's helping them work on themselves. And some of the things that they'll talk about in that setting is the, the struggle they're experiencing and uh, things that have worked or haven't worked in the past, boundaries, how to establish them. Um, there's also family against narcotics in most areas of this state, which is a, a great place. You can look it up. You can Google it. Uh, you're going to find people who um, have been through something that you're experiencing. They're there, they care. They've either lost someone or they're still struggling and their advice is priceless. Their support is priceless. And it, it's always beneficial to go seek um, advice and support from people who have been through something similar. And for somebody who is is going through this themselves, what is your advice to someone who may be struggling with their recovery? I would say you're not alone. Uh, often it feels like you're alone. This is uh, uh, an experience that may bring about a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, but addiction is really common and we've got really effective treatment options out there. So recognize that you're not alone, um, getting better as possible. And it may feel really scary to ask for help, but once you do that, um, there are people out there who can help help you move forward. Yeah, and I, I would tell them to lean into some of those uncomfortable feelings as well. Uh, it's going to be perfectly natural to experience anxiety, um, maybe even uh, some remorse. You're, you're ending a relationship you've had with something that did a lot of good early on for you or perceived good. And uh, that is no longer the case. And, and a lot of your friends and people that you are acquainted with, you, you might have to change your relationship with them. And, and that's going to be uh, sad, difficult, hard work. But as you're going through it, reminding yourself that if I'm uncomfortable, I'm probably doing something right. I know where comfort's gotten me in the past, and I'm not I'm not looking for that at this point. I need to grow. And I would follow that up by saying you can definitely do it. You can do it. It doesn't matter if you failed before. That's not a failure. We call it an upward spiral in the field. If you've tried and you've attempted and you've had a lapse or a relapse in the past, you still have the knowledge up to that point. You can start there, you can build on it, and you can do it. Now, thank you so much to all of you for touching on this challenging topic. Now, if you want to learn more about recovery and what you can do to help those going through it, go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. Okay, it's time for the lightning round when we ask our guests four quickfire questions. I think we were going to have Darren in the hot seat today. So are you ready to go? Let's give it a shot. All right. Now, Tuesday was World Mental Health Day. What's one thing that you try to do every day to protect your mental health? Uh, so for me, my car rides are very important. Uh, I, I'm a big audiobook fan. So um, right now, I, I find people that inspire me currently. Um, I'm, I'm looking into uh, topics, and I'm using that time in my car instead of just jamming out which is fun too to to get some reading in per se and uh become well read even if it's through my ears okay national dessert day is coming up what is your favorite type of dessert custard donut with chocolate on top that one's easy wow there was no hesitation there at all love them love them all right 
Uh, this is the time when all four major sports are going on. Are you a sports fan? And if so, which sport is your favorite? I am a sports fan and without a doubt, football, American football. All right. And finally, if you didn't go into social work, what would you consider to be your dream job? I'd work with animals. Um, I would I would be someplace in the sea with scuba gear on, uh, diving off a boat daily, getting some sun afterwards and hitting the beach. Love it. These are great answers. Um, well, thank you so much, Darren, for acing the lightning round. And thank you to all of our guests for sharing their knowledge and insight into recovery. Once again, if you want to learn more about recovery, go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. And while you're there, you can find some of this week's featured stories, including important resources to help you manage anxiety, a rundown of how physician assistants are helping shine a light on housing insecurity, and a closer look at the medical procedures unit and how they are incorporating DE&I into their daily work. Find all that and more at mmheadlines.org. All right, so we already asked Darren this, Bailey, and I know you are a huge sports fan as well, and it's a crazy time of year for that. Which sport is your favorite? Okay, I'm going to say football as well. Um, go Lions. We're rolling this year, so let's keep it up. And I would ask you, but I'm assuming you're going to have the same answer. Possibly. I mean, I'll, I'll say baseball is actually probably my number one sport. I just love, like, the regularity of it like every day during the summer you know that the tigers are going to be playing even if they're going to be losing they're going to be playing so you got something to pay attention to um a close second is football and i would actually put college football slightly ahead of the nfl just for like the energy involved in the stadiums and with all the fans and things like that and i've had season tickets to michigan football my whole life so that probably will will slightly surpass the Lions, but this year I am all in on the Lions. I mean, I've been all in in the past, but it's not as depressing this year. Yes, so. seems like a lot of people are all in. <laughs> At least yet, not as depressing yet. Wow, look at Darren Same. throwing a Three wet Lions. blanket. True Lions fan, we gotta be honest. <laughs> Wait, waiting for the other shoe to drop, Realistic. right? <laughs> for over a century, Michigan Medicine has been on a mission to bring Michigan answers to patients and families across Michigan and beyond. It's why University of Michigan Health is honored to have been named Michigan's number one hospital once again by U.S. News & World Report and to have been named year after year to the prestigious honor roll of the nation's top hospitals. If you need a Michigan answer in your life, think Michigan Medicine and visit michigananswers.com. All right, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. This week's question is, which nonprofit do physician assistants partner with each year during PA Week? Once again, which nonprofit do physician assistants partner with each year during PA week? You can find the answer in this week's headline story. And once you know it, send it to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. That's all we have for today. Thank you so much to all of our guests for joining us. And thanks, as always, to our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.